you've selected a show from the Podcast Jukebox, a DIY podcast network. Probably grabbed a Pope by the ear and said, you know, listen, Shitstain, you're moving back to Rome, you're going to fix it, and you're going to stay there. Do you hear me, mister? And he was probably like, yes, ma'am, please, please let go. Hello and welcome to Drinks With God, a podcast about alternative theological experiences, death, and life. All of the following content is based on each interviewee's own personal experiences and is meant to be educational, not confrontational. You gotta drive. I got nowhere to be. Yeah, but this chair. All right, and we are recording, right? Yeah, it's been recording. Cool. Because we are currently at Mike's setup today. Because um, Mike, part of the reason, and I do want to apologize again, and again, that the podcast has been MIA for a couple months is because all of my electronics were dead for a couple months, and then I moved my ha- my you know where I lived, so. He moved all of his worldly possessions to a house with multiple stray cats. Yes, I went up from one stray cat to six. Yeah, you're, you've definitely upgraded. <laughs> and, but uh, now that my electronics are functioning, if there's someone else hearing this aside from us, um, uh, we're back online. So welcome to another episode of Drinks with God. And today we have Mike back in here, and we are going to talk about... Girl power, more specifically, girl Jesus power. That was a terrible segue. Anyway, so... It's, yeah, like, cool female saints that have done interesting shit throughout history. And, um, you know, last time I was here, we were talking about shitty popes, and um, we're going to be talking a little bit about shitty popes again. Yeah, to some degree. Now, generally, when I what I know about saints in general are one of two realms. It's post-colonization... Saints that were adopted to, as kind of a cover for a for a for a pantheon of gods, or pre-colonialization, or actually a different kind of colonialization rather, gods that were um, kind of absorbed into Catholicism by sainthood. So like local deities, which is super early Christianity right. and super late Christianity. This is actually historically. Um, traceable people in history who were canonized after death, which is murky territory for me. So I'm excited to learn something. Yeah, uh, <clears throat> all the the records known support that these were actual people that existed and weren't just abstract concepts that were turned into saints and and you know given a cover story and a fake driver's license and a passport. Yeah, or pope port, <laughs> pass pope. There we go. A pass pope. Yes, All right. past pope. That's what we'll call it. Um, yeah, because you you kind of looked into the ones that are you know pretty apocryphal, and yeah, they were just clearly trying to yeah. be like, oh yeah, no, this is this is totally a, a saint. This local deity is is you know it's it's Saint Jimothy. Yeah, so there's a very specific political theological agenda going on, which right. I think is very interesting. But that's a whole other subject when it comes to 
both conquering and spreading of both peoples and religions, but this is a different political agenda, actually. Oh yeah, there's there's more than enough saints to go around in terms of whatever you know whatever their use is supposed to be. Um, so I have three picked out, um, and I'm also going to list like what they're the patron saint of, and there's a lot of overlap in who they're the patron saints of. You can have like one subject that has several saints that are kind of appropriate for that. Yeah, it's you know, and then. As as new things develop, they will sometimes retroactively be like, oh yeah, that patron saint, like this new concept we're, we're dealing with now, that's the patron saint of that. Yeah. Like, like you how know. St. Sebastian evolved over time to include, it like started with um, just one of the general martyrdom saints, added in um, airborne diseases, then added in HIV and AIDS into that, which kind of like took in homosexuality along with it. Right. Even though he existed before germ theory. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, he might have existed before humor theor, uh, theory. Yep. Oh, yeah, it's still recording. Just wanted to make sure. But, um, yes. So. So, we're going to start with Catherine of Siena, and their time periods are going to be all over the place. This is, at, Catherine of Siena is actually the latest of them. She's the patron saint of journalists and kind of all communicators in general. Um, she was born in the, like, late 1200s, or no, the, uh, the late 1300s, um, I believe around 1347. Uh, she was actually born as a set of twins. Uh, her sister, Giovanna, was given to a wet nurse. She died shortly after. Catherine was was nursed by her own mom and lived, and, you know, back then, just kids died. Yeah. That's what they did. You know, you had a baby, maybe it'll be alive in three weeks. That's why I had a couple dozen, just to be sure. Yeah. You just just crank them out and just see what survived. You know, it's turtle rules out here, man. (laughs) We're going to lay a couple hundred turtles and see who makes it to the ocean. Hopefully one of them gets the sainthood. Yeah, and the the ocean being adult, yeah, adulthood in Italy or wherever. (laughs) Or a Habsburg. Um, She had her first vision of Jesus when she was five, what caused this vision, if anything, or if it was, you know, she hit the hooch too hard at the tender age of five, if she was just, you know, prone to epileptic fits, that was usually a thing people would, you know, misascribe to being a prophet or an oracle or some sort of seer is if you were epileptic, because you would just wig out. Yeah. Um, but she had her first vision at the age of five. She got super, super religious at that point. Um, her older sister... Um, way later in life, uh, died in childbirth, and her parents wanted her to marry her sister's widow, which she was super not in favor of. She did not like the guy, and nor did she kind of just like the idea of marrying in general, especially not him. Um, so she uh, went against their will and joined the Sisters of Penance, which that's a great that's a that's a great way to start things. Sister of Penance. Because mm-hmm. you didn't fuck around in the 1300s. Yeah. It's like, yeah, just just join the Sisters of Penance. There's going to be a lot of, you know, a lot of fasting, and you're probably going to be whipping yourself a lot. Yeah, that's like, that's a little more hard. There were several different orders at that point. That's when, um, you know, nunneries and monkhoods were, like, pretty well established. Each definitely had their own traditions and flavor. Because a couple had been around for a couple hundred years at that point. It was really in the... yeah. Now, or- orders can go back a long time. Like, the Order of Dominican Priests has been around forever, and yeah. use- and a lot of the schools are founded by Dominicans because, 
emphasis on education as kind of their, their wheelhouse. Yeah. It was like just before the first millennium, like in the 800s, 900s, I think is when most, a lot of the big ones started to get founded. Right. So that's when you'll see a lot of them tracing themselves back to. Yeah, and it was just, you know, what, whatever you were devout and into, the the church would probably be like, yeah, sure, we'll go with it. Yeah, but they were one of the more hardcore ones for nuns to get into, if not the hardcore ones, from what I know, though. Right. And, um, like, she had the ear of who was the Pope at the time, Gregory the Eleventh, and she got his ear when she first went with, you know, these Dominicans. Uh, she went as a representative of her order to negotiate peace uh, for Florence. Florence at the time was at war with the Pope. For whatever reason, you know, pick one. There could be any number, probably political, to be going to war with the Pope. It's Italy. It's the Pope. Something's going down. (laughs) Yep. Um, Because at this time, there's actually probably a good reason that they were at war with the Pope, was, was this was the time of the Avignon Papacy. This was for most of the 1300s, where the Pope decided, you know what? Rome sucks. I'm a bail. Yeah. At that time, Rome did suck. It was like Detroit. (laughs) And if you had a holy city in the middle of Detroit, you may want to move to, I don't know, Chicago, Oklahoma City, anywhere that isn't Detroit. Yeah, Rome was like way behind on its infrastructure. It was very poor. All of the great Roman monuments were kind of just rotting, unmaintained. It was not a very uh, auspicious place, and especially if you're a pope high up on your power being like, you know what, I could do better than this, and you decide, uh, let's go to Avignon, France. Yeah, like, rather than sink your own money into making where you are the pope of better, you're going to go to where it's already established to be better. Yeah, especially if you are already French, which, hey, <clears throat> that's, right, he that's, what, that's what all of the Avignon popes had in common from 1309 to 1376 is the Avignon Papacy, and hey, they were all French popes. Wonder how that works out. <coughs> and it, it all started when one, when one French pope was like, I'm not going to Rome, are you kidding me? <laughs> Place smells like feet and poo gas. <laughs> and so he just stayed in Avignon, and they were like, well, like, pope's got a pope, I guess we'll move all our shit over there. Whatever. Um, so yeah, Florence is probably going to war over something relating to that. Um, <laughs> were there any anti-popes during this point, or was that... That came shortly afterwards. Um, you know, Pope Gregory the Eleventh was the Pope at the time, and he did end up going back to Rome. How much Catherine actually influenced this decision is really anybody's guess. But she was certainly advocating for it pretty damn hard, and we know that he had that she had his ear, so I'm sure it was something. Um, she was actually a very prodigious letter writer. That's why she's the patron saint of journalism and communications, is because she wrote a lot of stuff to a lot of people, you know, espousing her worldview on things and support for the Pope. Um, interestingly, she didn't, as far as we know, she didn't actually learn how to write until three years before her death. Before oh. that, she just had she just dictated. Oh, okay. Um, so, still, a ver- very effective letter writer. Usually, when someone did something, a strongly wooded letter would follow, and it would be very strong. Um, but yeah, he moved it back to Rome, and then after that is when um, the big schism happened, where you had four popes excommunicating each other at the same time, and you had, like, one pope and three anti-popes, and 
you know, you have to figure out which one's which, you know, or choose the mystery box. <laughs> the mystery apostate. <laughs> yeah, she she worked really hard to negotiate an eventual peace between Florence and Rome because they were all disputing each other. Um, the, the leaders were very quick to utilize a lot of the groundwork that she laid, but also very quick to blame her for not doing it fast enough, kicking her out, and then taking credit for all the work she did, as men are prone to do. Yeah, um, I mean... <laughs> but Catherine, Catherine being Catherine, wrote some very strong letters to them, expressing her displeasure. I don't know if they had the F-bomb yet. She also strikes me as someone a little too pious to actually use the F-bomb, but... She was thinking it. I'm sure I'm sure it was there somewhere. Maybe she was, for all I know, she was just firing them off one after the other, and the secretary was just like, yeah, I'm not writing that, Catherine. <laughs> I am mad. <laughs> there, I'll write that. Maybe they'll use their imagination. Imagine these nuts. <laughs> okay, Catherine. <laughs> no, she was, she was probably way too devout for that, but, you know, as long as I'm just wildly speculating, I'm going to have her say these nuts. Go right ahead. You're allowed to drop whatever kind of F-bomb you want. So. <laughs> um, yeah, it, as is appropriate for someone who was a member of a place called the Sisters of Penance, uh, she did a lot of it. Um, she did a lot of fasting, a lot of the, that stuff to show her devotion, and that's probably what ended up killing her. Um, it eventually got to the point where she had fasted for so long that she really could no longer eat or drink anymore, and she kind of just wasted away until she died and she was like... 43. Okay. Um, from illness and way too much fasting. Um, so yeah, that was Catherine of Siena, who probably grabbed a pope by the ear and said, you know, listen, shitstain, you're moving back to Rome, and you're gonna, you're gonna fix what's wrong with, with whatever's going on over there, you're just gonna fix it, and you're gonna stay there. Do you hear me, mister? And he was probably like, yes, ma'am, please, please let go. Yeah, I knew that we were going to cover her. Um, then the next person I wanted to talk to about was Agatha of Sicily, who's going to be, um, it's going to be a lot less cheerful, um, for starters, because she was a saint from, like, the 200s. Uh, okay. Which you may recognize as, a, as the time when the Christians were, you know, getting fed to lions and not being allowed to have their faith. Well, everyone was getting the fed to lions at the time. It was very much in vogue, yes. Yes. But yes. Since there were only, like, a handful of Christians, it made a bigger dent. There were a lot of martyr saints that came around during this time period, just because, basically, if you died for your faith, you were all but guaranteed a sainthood, because, you know, martyrdom is, is, is way up there in terms of, you know, a show of your devotion. You're laying down your life. Yeah. It's, you know, back then they were like, yeah, that's pretty hardcore. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> uh, she's the patron saint of... And some of these may not seem related, but we'll get to it. Breast cancer patients, wet nurses, rape victims, and bell founders. People who made, like, bells, like church bells. Yeah. Which, and we'll, we'll, we'll get to why... Uh, uh, no, the computer's just going. Oh, okay. Um, we'll get to why that's on that list along with the other ones. It's a bit weird, but, you know, it's very aesthetic. Okay. So yeah, early saint, back in the 200s. Um, from what we know of her, she was born into the nobility. She was a rich, you know, in a rich family, had a lot of suitors as a result. But, uh, you know, she was devout with her faith and she took a vow of virginity. 
um, which, you know, all of the boys took exception to. And one boy in particular was a Roman prefect by the name of Quintianus. He, um, you know, he kept courting her, you know, marry me, marry me. And she was like, no, go away. You smell like feet, probably. And then he finally had enough, and, like, all men everywhere decided to not take the graceful way out and just go find someone else. He, knowing she was a Christian, had her arrested for it. Um, and then had her brought before a judge. Um, the interesting thing was, uh, he was the judge. Yeah, I see where this is going. You know, n- nowadays that would be called a conflict of interest. In, in the Roman period, though, they kind of thrived on conflict. So they were like, yeah, no, that's whatever. He's a, he's a judge, right? He must be making the right decisions. He's streamlining the process. This is easy. Yeah. He already knows her. He'll make the right decision. Perfect. Yes. This can't possibly go wrong. I mean, for us, she'll probably get screwed, but, you know, that's going to be her problem. She'll have to think about that the next time she decides to be a Christian. So she was brought up before him, and he, you know, now tried to do the same thing, except with a lot more, you know, threat behind it. And she basically was just like, I'm throwing my life into God's hands. Whatever happens, happens. But I I trust he knows what he's doing. And so Quintianus, um, you know, ever the graceful loser, had her uh, thrown into a brothel for a month. Um, and, you know, what happened at the brothel is what happens at a brothel, very much against her will, she just had to endure all kinds of rape and assault, and trying to break her spirit, she just wouldn't budge. Just, you know, giant rock in the middle of the ocean, the waves can break against it, but she won't. Um, so instead he had her imprisoned and tortured, which, of course he did. This is, you know, not a nice guy. And uh, one thing that uh, is constantly, like, shown in a lot of her art is she had her breasts forcibly cut off. Um, After that, she was still defiant, although I can't imagine Quintianus was even interested at this point. It was probably just, you know... Pride, yeah. Yeah, pride and just trying to see if she broke. She didn't. Uh, So instead, she was sentenced to be burned at the stake. And, you know, burned at the stake, but an earthquake kind of cut that short, which, you know, some people say was divine intervention, but really all he did was say, okay, well, that didn't work, and you know what, I just don't want to risk inviting another earthquake, whatever's going on, this is some weird shit, I'm a Roman in the year 200s, I don't know. So, he just had her thrown into prison, and she died there. Um, You can always tell when St. Agatha is being portrayed in art, though, because... If you see a woman holding a silver platter with tits on it, that's St. Agatha. Yeah, I know. She's one of a couple different saints that has her body parts on her on a plate. Um, St. Lucia being another notable one. Right. Um, there but, was some, I can't, I think it's St. Bartholomew. I can't remember his name, but I know that he's always portrayed as, you know, holding what looks like a giant, like, robe, but it's in oh, fact it's his, his skin. skin. Yeah. Because he was skinned alive, and that's hardcore. Yeah. But he's also not a lady, so he's not the focus of this one. But yeah, you'll occasionally have the saints portrayed as, you know, showing whatever grievous bodily harm they endured. Because it's like, yeah, that's what they're known for. Hey, that guy's holding his head. We know who that is. 
so yeah, whenever you see a painting with her, you know, with her with her tits on a platter, kind of either either like reverently looking at them or kind of sarcastically like looking at someone else while holding them. Either way, that's a mood. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the other interesting uh, cultural uh, mainstay that she has are what are called the Agatha buns. It's a little, uh, or, or known in Italy as the uh, Mine di Sant'Agata. It's a little fruit bun, like small and it's round, because of course it is. Then it's iced and placed with a cherry on top. And it's, you serve her tits on a plate. No, I've seen those in bakeries. <clears throat> yeah, because if if there's two things Christianity is is really good at doing, it's you know having their followers endure some really fucked up stuff, and then also curiously making light of all of it. Yeah. When you when you really roll back, yeah, that was she was subjected to horrendous torture and rape and assault and dismemberment. Have a bun. Yeah. Here, <laughs> have a titty. Have a sticky titty. Yeah. So that, that's also why she's the patron saint of bell founders, is, you know, the breasts kind of look like bells. Okay, so it just goes back to aesthetics. Yeah, it it goes back to basically the Catholic visual pun. That's... I mean, it is what it is. Okay. <laughs> I am i wouldn't be surprised if, if Guy Who Had His Skin Cut Off was actually the patron saint of, like, clothiers or, you know, leather tanners. Leather tanners would be right up there with the Catholic humor. That'd be hysterical. But, um, yeah, I'm not actually sure. I'd have to double-check that. That'd be funny. Yeah, no, we'll, we'll have to go and check. Hell, we could probably do a whole thing on, like, male saints who got dismembered and are, like, portrayed as still dismembered. Like, they're, um, uh, nearly headless Nick from Harry Potter. Yeah. Like, the only ones I know are the, the guy who carries his own head around the guy who carries his skin around. There's a lot of, like, most people, most of the guys that are canonized hold churches, because they're all popes, and they just hold their church forever. Yeah, yeah, they do. But, um, there's one more. Yes, I had the last one, and that is Olga of Kiev. Um, now, yeah, the, the, you know, Catherine was a lady who was largely kind of unappreciated by history, but... You know, did <clears throat> did her part to keep the church together. Uh, Agatha endured a lot of torment. Uh, Olga is going to be a little more uplifting, which is why I saved her for last. This is a th- this woman is the very definition of hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. Yeah, I think I vaguely remember her because she brought the hell with her. Yeah, um, she's the patron saint of widows and converts. Uh, she lived around in the nine hundreds, so this was you know. Post fall of Rome, way before the Renaissance, so this was like you know, dead middle Middle Ages. And there was this big like hundred, two hundred year period right around that first millennium where everyone was like, Jesus is probably coming back. Quick, make everyone Christian. Yep. Uh, yeah, that was right when um, Scandinavia Christianized, and there were lots of parts of the known world, Western world at the time, that were quickly becoming Christianized with that intent. Right, and this is actually someone who kind of got some of the groundwork working in her region. Um, she was the, technically she was the regent, you know, not the, not the actual, like, queen, but the regent of the of uh, Kievan Rus, which was like a confederation of little nation states that now make up Western Russia. Okay. Um, and then kind of some random chunks of the former Soviet Union. 
Um, I don't know how it all works out on a map, but you know that the the Slavic area. Yeah. I'll find Bef- a map that makes sense, and I'll put a link in the comments. Yep. Um, so she was kind of the the leader of this kind of loose confederation. Um, her husband Igor had been killed, and her son was too young to effectively rule. So she kind of was ruling in his stead until he was old enough. Mm-hmm. Um, he became, or her husband Igor was killed by one of the tribes that they kind of ruled over, the Drevelins. Uh, he was collecting tribute for them from them at the time. Um, sources kind of vary as to whether or not them killing him was justified or not. He might have been asking for too much tribute in so, too short a time. He, they also might have just not wanted to pay. It's, you know, it's the 900s. No one kept good books. Yeah. Um, but... The ballsy thing the Drevelins did, in, in addition to killing who was ostensibly their king, not a good move, but also not a good move immediately after is uh, is going up to Olga and just being like, so, now that you're single, we have a very eligible prince. And, and she was just kind of like, yeah, I am single. Wonder how that happens. But, you know, they were putting the pressure, and they were a prominent political group, so she couldn't just tell him to piss off forever. You know, also, you know, her husband had been killed by them. Not a not not great for morale. So what she did was, and instead of just telling them to piss off forever and then just going to war with them, uh, she, <clears throat> you know, kind of wavered on it. They sent, they were like, all right, we're going to send 20 of our guys over, and they're going to make the case. You know, this is going to be a... Send, send them over, make the sales pitch, close the deals, coffees for closers. You know, chase those Glengarry regents. Um, so they went over, and they were like, yes, we're here for... You know, we represent our prince. We're the Drevelins. Why, why won't you marry our prince? And she was like... Well, I can think of a couple reasons why, but mostly I'm just going to do this. And then she had them buried alive. That's a pretty good, you know, start to a no. Yeah, that's, I guess. that's about as strong a no as you can do. But the thing is, she had all of them buried alive. So, you know, no one was able to go back and tell the other Drevelins, like, yeah, she's still mad, guys. Maybe we should give her a minute. <laughs> Maybe she's a little bit mad that we killed her husband. So no, no one could give them the warning. So what followed next was she very quickly just sent a response back, sending one of her own people saying, you know, back to the Drevelin tribe saying, you know what? I accept your proposal. I'm, I'm good with this. This will be a good, strong political alliance. Uh, your men are still here, but I don't think there's enough men. Send more of your best to accompany me back to your to your tribe. Um, and so they're like, oh, yeah, sure. We, they send even more of their best men, you know, like real heads of state, you know, important people to serve as like a royal entourage to escort her back. And when they got there to her kingdom, she was like, oh, Welcome. You've had a very long journey. You must be tired. We have a bathhouse that's big enough for all of you. And so, yeah, I I don't think it was ever established, like, how many were sent. But, yeah, they all went into a bathhouse. And she was like, yeah, no, nah, no, nah, go go wash up. It, no, the, this lock? No, that's just, we, we just keep this lock for other things. But now we unlocked it because, you know, you're here. Uh, pardon me, I'll be right back. 
yeah, no points for guessing. She then had the bathhouse <laughs> locked and then lit on fire. At, at which point they were probably like, uh, I feel like there's not a lot of water and there's a lot of really dry tin. Oh, shit. <laughs> oh. Oh, this must be one of those sweat lodges. <laughs> this isn't a sweat lodge. <laughs> shit. This is a very warm bathhouse. Mm-hmm. Where's the cool part? Yeah, she she just burned them all to a crisp, and then she was like, okay, well, they're probably not going to fall for that a third time. Third time. So, she goes over to, she actually travels with all of her soldiers to the Drevlin uh, city. She's still making it look like it's just the royal entourage. Okay. So because, again, no one's been act- able to actually survive long enough to go back and tell the other Drevlins that, yeah, she's really fucking mad about this. She's not going to let this go. She's made a bit of a dent in their forces at this point, though. Yeah. Like, she's kind of removed a lot of the higher-ups' ability to, you know, effectively plan things, what with them being burnt to a crisp in a bathhouse. Yeah, like, she hasn't gotten rid of, like, their army. She's gotten, you know, like... Heads of state, like a probably like a, a big guard. Yeah, all the guys that would run the army. But, you know, an army is still an army. And especially if she's just going to go to a city and burn it to the ground, you don't necessarily need commanders to be able to defend a city. You just need guys up on the parapets throwing hot oil and arrows. Yeah, so as long as they've got, you know, an armory and they're not blind, they can defend themselves. Yep. But, uh... Olga, ever the uh, person to rely on charisma checks, uh, rolls up with her army and is like, yes, I'm here for the marriage proposal. What do you mean they're not back? <laughs> Unfucking believable <laughs> Are you sure you sent your best? Well, no matter. We can do the, we can do the marriage. We can, you know, get this done and over with. I know there's a lot of people to feed. Um, but first... I, I really do have to impose on this. Uh, can we please have a funeral feast for my husband? So that he can be properly laid to rest so that there's no, you know, issues among my people that I didn't properly mourn my husband before immediately, you know, jumping into the arms of another. And they were like, yeah, that's fair. We did kind of do him dirty. So, you know, they had a big funeral feast. Everyone got rip roaring drunk. And then uh, at night, Olga then had all of her soldiers go and kill all the other soldiers who were now passed out drunk. That was uh, 5,000 men gone immediately. At which point she was just like, okay, yeah, no, they're definitely not, I'm definitely not going to be able to talk my way out of this one. And so at that point, she then goes on the offensive and just starts laying siege to the city. Who at this point does not have enough people to withstand a siege. And they're like, shit, shit, shit. (laughs) Oh my god, she's so mad. (laughs) Oh, oh, we fucked up. (laughs) Oh, this is bad. There's got to have been at least one guy in the town who's like, it's okay, guys, because when those other guys finally get here, (laughs) they'll see that they'll know what to do. (laughs) <laughs> They'll know what to do. Shut up, Harold. You always have the worst <laughs> ideas. <laughs> and so, yeah, they, they basically sued for peace and were like, please, for the love of God, please don't kill all of us. And she's just like, okay, you know what? I've done enough. Y'all have learned your lesson. I will end the siege if you provide to me a certain tribute. I don't want to unduly burden you anymore because you've lost enough as it is. All I ask for are three pigeons and three sparrows from each household in your city. 
you know, as a sign of, you know, you, you I am literally taking you under my wing and you are not going to pull this shit anymore. And they were like, yes, 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 whatever you want, that's fine, take the goddamn birds to stop burning our shit to the ground. And so, yeah, they gave her three, you know, I'm, I'm assuming they did the math on it. Um, you know, they gave her all the birds, and she was just like, all right, well, you know, I promise by tomorrow my army will be going that way, and we're going to be gone. <clears throat> that night, though, um, she had all of her soldiers take the birds and tie a little uh, cloth with sulfur wrapped around it, and tied them all to their legs, <clears throat> lit, them on, lit them on fire, and then just let the birds go. Now... If you're a bird who's just been kind of yoinked from your your little cove and given to a strange person, like, two miles away from your house, where are you going to go? Back home. You're going to go back home. Back to your roots. Like, fuck this. I, you know, I have little chicks back home. I have to, you know, I got to be ready for work in the morning. <laughs> It'd be such a traffic jam if I don't get some sleep. So, yeah, they they just went back to their homes, which was all of the homes in the city... While they were on fire. While they were on fire, and this is, you know, this is the 900s, it was all, you know, thatched roof cottages, Trogdor style. And so, um, you can imagine just the sheer amount of chaos that ensues when literally every house catches on fire at the same time. Like, you know, siege arrows where they would just fire a ball of pitch and, like, light a house on fire... They had that. They had fire brigades. Yeah. But every house in the city burned at the same time. Yeah. And yeah, that that by by the morning the city was just a smoking ruin. And uh some of them, you know, some of the people were killed, usually the elders, like whoever was left as of leadership. Yeah. She was just like, "Look, it was either being buried alive, being burned in a bathhouse or just, you know, I kill you with my sword. So, like, really, all of y'all were were dead pretty much the moment you killed my husband. Yeah. Um, and at which point they were like, oh, yeah, no, she's definitely mad. Um, so she had them killed. She enslaved some of them, and then the rest she kind of left behind and was like, so, we're paying our tributes, right? And they were like, yes, 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 we're paying our tributes. And she was like, I'm watching you. And then she went home, as she promised, that night. Good. You know, le- leaving behind a significantly reduced population and a smoldering ruin of their, uh, you know, city, and a very important lesson learned in who not to fuck with. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure just, like, word spreading from that alone was enough to kind of make sure her reign would be fairly peaceful. Yeah, there's there's a couple of historians who, who assert that this, this whole story is likely a myth, but, you know, these people also need to have some fun in their lives. Yeah. And, you know, this, the interesting is thing is, because none of this has to do with Christianity whatsoever, this is not what she's venerated for. Yeah, this is just what she did <laughs> That <before>. was flavor text. <laughs> um, she, you know, was also trying to convert the region to Christianity, and she kind of made some headway into it. Ultimately, it was her grandson who converted the whole region to Christianity um, and kind of finished her work, and that's what she's venerated for. Not for having one of the most, you know, badass revenge streaks, you know, up until, like, Kill Bill. Yeah. So, like, that was all 
like so she was actively trying to convert the region while she was also doing that. Yeah, like she was trying to you know convert because it was a you know it wasn't like a unified nation; it was like a federation. Yeah. So and so you know she kind of had to go one at a time and kind of influence people where she could. Yeah. Her grandson was the one who had enough clout to actually fully convert the region. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that is very par for the era. That kind of oh, yeah. Def- definitely, like, that was the same in Scandinavia, you know, you don't... Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, like, there were some parts, like, uh, Greenland, they do Christianize by vote, but there were just a few of them. There was yeah, there, like... were, there were enough of them to be like, look, if we fight over this, there's not going to be enough of us. Yeah, and they're just kind of like, uh... But... That was, that, that kind of just tied into, like, the general Norse way of doing things, and... You know, that was also how they would vote on laws. Yeah. And we could, you know, the what they called the the all thing, and that is, in fact, where we get the term thing. Ha- a thing in Norse used to be, like, meeting. Yeah, like a moot for um, for the various tribes in the UK. Pretty much. And they would, they would meet once a year, and if you had any sort of, like, legal disputes, that's when you'd bring them up, because everyone would be there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if anyone needed to be exiled, it would be, it would happen at that time. Rules would be, you know, decided on, and (laughs) there was no, there were no police and there was no executive branch, but people were kind of just expected to enforce these rules as appropriate, or else it would come up at the next thing, yeah, and it would be a whole thing about it, yeah, yeah, but I'm sure. So yeah, the 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 Greenland Greenlanders kind of just converting by vote is very much. In keeping with Norse Norse traditions, yeah. All right. So, I mean, that those three pretty much just like run the gamut of how sainthoods were acquired. Yeah, it was either through you know a lot of good diligent clerical work, um, horrendous martyrdom, or you know, kind of like Olga did not do a lot per se for Christianity in her lifetime. But she was also very well regarded as like a local legend, yeah. and so it was. It was probably a lot closer to what you're talking about. People who were kind of made saints to appease the locals. Yeah. But she did have the advantage of being a Christian, like she was an actual person. Yeah, yeah, like it, like this local appropriating local veneration, essentially, is I guess the best way to tie that up neatly. Yep, and so yeah, she was very highly regarded for being a badass lady and. The church was like, uh, yeah, sure, we agree. Yeah, Saint Saint Olga of Kiev. She's the patron saint of, you know, widowers and um, women not to be fucked with. <laughs> the patron saint of women not to fuck with. Excellent. I'm glad we've got one of those. Yeah, that that that's not there officially, but we know. <laughs> we all know. Yes. Oh, excellent. Um, well, thank you very much for uh, for jumping on the show again. Yeah, glad, um, glad to be here. I know there were a couple other topics that we're probably going to cover in the future with you. Were there, were there anything in particular that you wanted to maybe throw out in the... Um, we could definitely do the one about dismembered saints if we could find enough good, solid examples of them. Well, not so, not all one solid. Mm. A couple pieces. Yeah. Some piecemeal. Yeah. yeah. Maybe it'll be someone who's like was ground in a flower and he's just represented by a pot. Probably, yeah. <laughs> It's a, it's like a hot a pot with like a little like the sainthood halo around it. <laughs> that would be. Um, so do we make bread with it? No, 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 no. Not 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 no. It's not it's not the bread of God. 
Don't be smart with me. <laughs> uh, excellent. Um, and just, uh, so if there's anyone who wants to like reach out to you, do you want them to do that directly, or do you want them to uh, ping through me first, and I'll pass along through you? Yeah, I could probably just ping through you. All right, and then, uh, and of course, everyone, you know how to uh, reach out to me, just... Um, Reach out to Drinking With God. That's Drinking With an I-N-G with God at gmail.com. And thanks for following us on, on Twitter, on Facebook, on Podbean, following us on iTunes, and we're on Spotify now. And please uh, follow us on Patreon and check out our store. We've got some T-shirts, we've got some stickers and all sorts of things. And let me know if you want to come on the show. If you guys think you'd like to chat about it, just send me a line. love to hear from you. And thank you for listening, and you all stay weird out there. <laughs> Silliness, all this is, is a silliness.